Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Welcome, boys and girls, to FCS Speculators, a betting podcast, episode four, as we have arrived at the midpoint of the college football season. I guess, are we even like a week past the technical midpoint? Or, as far as the FCS goes, certainly, yes. Okay. Everybody's now played at least six games. and uh... It's week, week eight of the football season is uh is dawning on us is what it is so we're uh rolling right now through conference play all over uh the place ryan tutel here colton nuanez as always and our esteemed producer david graff helping us out putting all this stuff together good to be with you as we take another look around the fcs the top 25 and then specifically the big sky conference we will also of course have a, a couple of uh, uh guests for you today so we're uh, happy to have you along with us as we Look at some numerology, some games, and uh, where teams are at in the top 25. Colts are crazy week in the FCS top 25. 11 of 25 teams in the top 25 lost this past Saturday. Four top 10 teams lost. Now, that's a little deceiving because there was two top 10 matchups, so there was a mathematical uh, uh, certainty that two were going to lose, but two others uh, lost as well, and quite a bit of movement. Uh, let's take a look at the top 25. North Dakota State, one of those teams in a top 10 matchup, and they were one of those teams that did not lose. Shocking. Uh, 46-14, <laughs> their victory over Northern Iowa. I mean, how good is North Dakota State? They beat down a team by 32, team, 32 points, and that team only falls four spots. Because everybody's right. like, well, yeah, of course they lost by 32. It's North Dakota State. It's so interesting, too, because North Dakota State has such a mental edge when they get into these conference games because the Missouri Valley has just been getting bowled over like a bunch of bowling pins since since this run began. But the only two teams that could ever lean on, hey, we've done this before, are Northern Iowa and South Dakota State. Right. Well, they just wasted Northern Iowa, so there's one off the board. The only other team that could even think about challenging them, I mean... They beat number 10 Illinois State 38-3 to last week. 
two weeks ago, and then they beat Northern Iowa, number 10 team in the country, 46-14. to 14. So the last two weeks, they beat the number 10 team in the country by a combined total of 77 points. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, uh, you know, I think a lot of people thought, okay, well, how about now on this coaching change and with this giant group of graduating seniors, if anything's going to change? And the answer so far, no. Nothing is changing. I think that it really is not going to, we're not going to really see the effects of this coaching change until Matt Two years. Until he's getting his recruits in. Yeah. But I just wonder when it's ever going to end because now the resume North Dakota State can put in front of recruits is better than any resume you could ever have. They check every box. Yeah, except for, uh, you know, walking around outside. That is the one drawback. Yeah. Uh, okay. But they recruit from an area where that most of the, I mean, they're not like heavy into California. Yeah, they no, are actually heavy into Florida, which I find fascinating. Well, Florida has uh, 248 feet of total elevation change. How do you like that and little piece of information? And also 10 million <laughs> Division One football yeah, prospects. Yeah, there's a lot, lot of D1 football prospects. All right, North Dakota State, uh, a big win. Uh, James Madison, they had a huge matchup against number five and undefeated Villanova. They get a win there, 38-24. Impressive, really. I mean, two touchdowns. Uh, they uh, beat Villanova. James Madison covered the spread. They're 6-1 and one on the season and 5-1-1 one and one against the number. James Madison, the number two team in the nation. South Dakota State, this was an interesting game. Seven-point spread on this thing against Youngstown State and Bo Polini over there in Youngstown, Ohio. South Dakota State, a like a quarterback run for a touchdown from like 80 yards with a minute left to play to cover the number in this thing, a bizarre way for that to go, 38-28. It was Scott Van Pelt's bad beat of the week. Is that right? Yeah. This SC top 10 or top bad beats? For SVP, well, it was it was a bad beat because uh, all all uh, South Dakota State needed to do was kneel on the ball, but they end up breaking out. And if you got open space, you just keep running. And my goodness, that they run it in, and they, and they end up winning 38-28 over Youngstown State. So SDSU, the number four team in the nation, uh, Weber State uh, played Southern Utah. Yes, yes. Go ahead. They're number three. What did I say? Number four. They're number three in the nation, not number four. Ryan's batting about forty-seven uh, percent lately. Well, I don't know. You know, it just says three next to it. Why would I think three was the number? I already taught my daughter math this morning. It's probably a bad omen that her teacher's not very good at this. Weber State is the number four team in the nation. They played Southern Utah. They did not cover this number over Southern Utah, but they did win handily, twenty-nine fourteen uh, over the Thunderbirds. The Grizzlies of Montana on a bye. Move up three spots in the top ten. It's, again, probably a uh, 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 tip of the cap to all the teams that lost in the top ten uh, over the weekend. But the Grizzlies go from eight to number five, and they now play at the now-ranked, the newly-ranked number 15 team in the nation, Sacramento State. Kennesaw State is number six this week. Uh, they played Charleston Southern. They won 45-23, though they did not cover. The game did go over. Uh, Kennesaw State is 5-1 and one on the season, but they're only 2-3 and three against the spread, and uh, they're probably the team that Coulter has the most questions about in the top 10 still, just because their schedule has not necessarily proven anything as of yet, even though obviously a 5-1 and one record is, uh, well, hard to do better than. Well, Charleston Southern's I'm not going to say like a power by any means, but they're an F. They're a real FCS football playing school. They yeah. were in the playoffs uh, either two or three years ago, so you know 
it's just a lot different than playing Point and Reinhardt and schools. I've, I mean, if you've if I've never heard of it, then that means that it is a very very obscure opponent. Yes, uh, no doubt. Uh, Villanova, as we mentioned, lost to James Madison. They dropped to number seven, so only two spots in a two-touchdown game against the number two team in the nation. Uh, Villanova, though, this is interesting. They didn't cover uh, the spread. They lost by 14. This is their first game that they did not cover this season. They're now 4-1-1. They have one push and four wins against the spread. So Villanova has been uh, uh, really good this season. But James Madison, again, you know, handling uh, uh, Villanova pretty well. Furman on a bye last week. Uh, they are number eight in the nation. They play the Citadel uh, this weekend. Citadel? The Citadel. Yeah, it is the Citadel. You got to give it the the. But they say some of uh, some of some of the people who say Citadel say Citadel. That's all I'm saying. I'm not worried about the the here. They the are very di- worried about the 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 diff the definite. It's just article. like Bison and Bison. Yeah, you got to get the the. Well, that's a that's a rivalry game though. That's going to be a war because yeah. those two te- those two teams maybe out west we don't really realize, but those two teams definitely hate each other. Yeah, yeah, and and it, and and here's the thing: is out west. I mean, Montana, Montana State. It goes a long ways back. I don't know that anything goes back further than Furman Citadel. <laughs> I mean, it goes, right. it goes, unless you're going to head to Scandinavia, do the Vikings versus the Inlanders or something. I don't know. The Inlanders? I am, yes, I am making that up. Uh, Nichols, uh, they are the number nine team in the uh, country. They had a 45-35 win over Northwestern State. They failed to cover, uh, but they did win the game, I think a game that, I think people thought they would be maybe a little bit better in, uh, but they handled their business one by ten, and they are now four and two. Uh, they play Sam Houston State at Sam Houston State uh, this week, and finally to round out the top ten, North Carolina A and T hammering Norfolk State fifty eight to nineteen. It's a it's a big beat uh, over uh, Norfolk State. They are now four and one on the season. They're three and two against the number. They are at Florida A and M. Uh, next week I think it's a natural reaction when teams lose to drop them in the polls and I think that's what pollsters are always going to do I also think that there's especially in this level of football the polls are oftentimes behind the performance in other words if you go to Bozeman and win for the first time since 1991 and you beat the number six team in the country in Montana State when you are Sacramento State and you beat them handily I don't know how you're not ranked ahead of Montana State, but that's just kind of the way polls work. You were unranked, so now we're going to give you a huge jump. Go Get into the poll at number 15 if you're Sac State. But it just seems to me that if you go beat the number six team in the country, you should be ranked ahead of that team, even if it's only one spot. And so Sac State at 15, I thought they should have been ranked ahead of Montana State at 12. But the whole point I'm making here is that Furman was off last week. Nichols won. North Carolina and T won. Kennesaw State won. So they all held steady or moved up. I don't necessarily think that that means that they're better than Montana State or Towson or Northern Iowa. Those teams Definitely. just lost. Correct. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No. So this thing will readjust itself. But like, oftentimes we just drop teams because they lost and raise teams because they won. But does that actually mean that Kennesaw State, Furman, or Nichols or North Carolina A and T are better than the Cats? I don't think so. It's the red, yellow, and green boats on the jumbotron between innings where they do the race, and then one is up, and then the other one's up, and then the other one's back, and this thing just shifts around like that. Uh, and and you're right. I mean, the, the if you win, you should move up this week. 
And if you lose, you should probably move down this week. How much, I think, is sort of the art of it all. But also, the polls, Coulter, aren't power rankings. I mean, what you're talking about are power rankings. And if you were going to power rank the country right now, I think it would look very different than what the polls look, but that doesn't mean I disagree with the polls. I mean, I think that at That's some... That's the hardest part about these FCS polls. That's right. Here's the issue, is that last week, when after Sacramento State beat Eastern Washington handily, they should have been ranked already. And if they had been ranked, rather than coming from non uh, from unranked, they would have been ahead of Montana State. Right. But they didn't get... They didn't break into the poll last week, and so now... I mean, they they jumped more than anybody else. They went ten spots from zero to fifteen. I mean, that's 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 a big leap, and I get that. It, here's the ironic thing about this: there's five teams by five teams still from the Big Sky Conference in the top twenty-five. Weber State and Montana at four and five. Uh, Montana State at twelve, as you mentioned, and then Sacramento State at fifteen, and then UC Davis coming off their win, uh, uh, finally getting back on the winning track. They win uh, against Cal Poly and are at 23. Eastern Washington is still unranked, which they should be. But if you look at Eastern Washington's schedule, they have one horrendous, unforgivable loss to Idaho. Okay? After that, but that was, by the way, not not a conference game. They're 2-1 and one in conference. They beat North Dakota in a snowy, crazy, windswept game in their, in their conference opener. Then they lose to now 15th-ranked Sacramento State, and then they beat up on Northern Colorado last weekend. All I'm saying is this. If if Eastern Washington had beat Idaho, Sacramento State's win over Eastern Washington would look fabulous right now. But all of a sudden, everybody was off Eastern Washington because of that loss. And by the way, as they should have been after a loss to Idaho. But But... I'm still a little bit wary of Eastern Washington because even though I was down on Eastern Washington coming into this season, I wasn't down on them like, oh, they're an unranked team. They're going to be a middle to lower third Big Sky team. And so I still think there's a – I mean, there's a lot of good football players in Cheney still out there doing it, and they're going to have something to say. And and I think that Sacramento State kind of got the short end of the perception stick because of when they beat Eastern. Everybody goes, well, here you go. Here's the implosion continuing. You can't beat Idaho, and now you can't beat Sacramento State, who hasn't been ranked since 2011 or whatever it is. But you and I were there firsthand on Saturday. And by the way, we did watch the uh, Arizona State game if you needed any more confirmation about how good Sacramento State is, this is an unbelievably talented team, a very well-coached team, a very good team. And I also think that the losses for Eastern Washington is a forgivable one. Eastern Washington is down from where they were, but I think they're still going to be okay. And, uh, I mean, looking ahead a little bit, they're on a bye, and then they're in Missoula against the Grizzlies in, a, in next week. That is a, that's a monster game for both of those teams at that point. Well, you watch Kevin Thompson live and in person. Kevin yes. Thompson's a great quarterback. He's very mature. He's an excellent decision maker. He's a very surgical operator of Troy Taylor's offense. His ceiling in terms of how he could explode to win a game is high. Among the higher in the country, there's no one in the country other than Dalton Sneed that has a higher explosive ceiling than Eric Berrier. Mm. And so when that happens, 
you could talk about all the guys Eastern Washington lost on defense. You could talk about all their injuries. You could talk about Aaron Best. You know, year four, how does he get this thing, you know, his own? How does he win without his, the previous coach's recruits? There's literally only one dude. There's two dudes in the country that can throw for 450 yards and rush for 100 in a game, and that's Eric Berry and Dalton Sneed. Barry could go off at any time, and yes. he could straight win you a game. Right. Kevin Thompson can lead you to victory. So can Case Cookus. Barry could win the whole thing just by himself. Just do it, yeah. And when he gets rolling, like when he is truly rolling in the RPO game, which they haven't gotten rolling as much this year for whatever reason, he's been able, teams have been able to contain him in the pocket. But when he gets out and gets loose, people forget, man, this kid is absolutely straight up electric. I mean, his playoff run last year was amongst the greatest I have ever seen. Yeah, that game against Maine. He put on a straight click. He threw seven touchdowns and rushed for an eighth. I mean, you talk about Sac State scored five straight times on Saturday. Eastern Washington scored nine straight times in the national semifinals against a mean main defense. Right. So, I mean, he's a guy that you always have to be wary of him. Um, teams that fell out of the top ten in the FCS, Montana State, went from six to 12,000, dropped uh, pretty precipitously uh, as they were beat by an unranked. Who did Towson lose to, Coulter? Towson lost to a pretty solid Albany team who actually, actually I think got into the top 20. So they were week. just in, but nonetheless, Towson drops from 9 to 18, pretty significant loss. UNI, again, at the, at, was at number 10. Uh, they lose to uh, uh, North Dakota State. They fall out of the top 10 as well. Um, by the way, if you're if you're keeping track at home, a little confused, Villanova was the other top 10 team that lost, but they did not fall out of the top 10. Uh, okay, so we're, uh, so we're clear. Um Coulter, let's take a look at what we did last week. Let's bring David in. This is, after all, a betting podcast, and uh, we were uh, picking some games last week. David is uh, keeping our season-long numbers and our uh, our weekly numbers for us over here. So, David, talk to us a little bit. How did uh, how did Coulter and I fare over the weekend that was? Ryan did pretty well last week, four right. and two against the spread and the totals. Coulter went 3-3 three and three against the spread and 1-5 on totals. Mm. Mm. I'm way better at picking these games straight up than against the lines I'm learning. <laughs> well, that is the idea in general, I think. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, I'm amazed I went 4-2 and two against the totals. I always think the totals are a bit of a crapshoot. Um, but uh, it's good to know. Four and two. So give us so so run through this with us, uh, uh, David. What did we do? You guys both had Idaho State and over. Idaho State went fifty five twenty over North Dakota. Just bow raced them, hit the total on their own. Then we got Eastern Washington minus nineteen and a half. I think they covered that when they walked out onto the field. That's what. That's how North <laughs> Northern Colorado played. Forty to nothing at halftime. Yeah. Wolf. Oof. But the way that Easter's been playing, too, I thought maybe Aaron Best might just say, okay, we're going to get back on track, we're going to score 80, but they didn't. Yeah, I was at a bar in Whitefish, and people were just watching the game to see if Northern Colorado would score. Yes. (laughs) They asked repeatedly to flip from Alabama A&M to Northern Colorado, Eastern Washington, because they were interested in whether they were going to score. This is the the flaw of the root schedule. When you put uh, that game on the root schedule, and then you get that game, it just does that 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 not that great for the league. Probably would have wanted to have Montana State Sac State on the schedule. Probably so. Well, you want to get everybody on on route sports. I, it's I only actually, fair. I I do think that that's actually a contractual part of it, isn't it? That every team has to everybody appear? has no. to appear once. No, everybody has no. to appear. I don't once. think that's no. actually true for it's route. Not true. It's true There's for all sorts of teams sports. that are not on route. Everybody has to appear once. That's in a big market. 
Maybe that's in a big market, sure. But there's there's all sorts of teams that are not on route this year. I think the, the Grizzlies are on six times, so that all automatically eliminates half the league. Well, no, I mean obviously there's five other teams. That I mean, six we could argue about it, but I absolutely promise you, there's teams that are not on route you, sports you, this year. You are right. Eleven sports has to have one team every all, every year. Both you guys were on Portland State twenty four nothing easy dub over Idaho. They covered minus one and a half. Then we have the game where you guys just laid an egg. Cal Poly lost by 24. They were 13.5-point dogs. Mm. Not even close. Then you guys both thought that they would run the triple option and slow lull, it down. lull UC Davis to sleep. The only people asleep were Cal Poly themselves. <laughs> Great example of what I talked about last week, though, where if they turn the ball over, they're going to get just destroyed. They turn the ball over twice in the first half, and they're down 35-7. Yeah. In the rivalry game, Southern Utah-Weber State, Coulter was all over Weber State. Ryan took Southern Utah just to be different. It ended up in Ryan's favor as Southern Utah covered the 23.5-point spread. And then Ryan also picked the under to be different. Coulter picked the over because he thought Weber State would, I don't know, score maybe. And it went under. It went way, way under. 43, the total was 58. So then the final game, you guys were all over Montana State. Thought that they would reign supreme over Sacramento State. Thought Sacramento State was a pretender. They showed up. They showed out. Now, let me just let me just back this up here. Nobody here said that Sacramento State is a pretender as a team. No. I'll go to the video. I'll go to the recording on this one. You were pumping Montana State up all week long. Mm-hmm. Montana so State's I don't good, care. And they got whipped. But that's not because Sacramento State, we thought Sacramento State wasn't the real deal. You Sacramento were, State you is. You were the undervaluing them. Clearly. Undervaluing them. I accept that. And maybe that. overrating Montana State. We'll see. Coulter specifically said that they didn't need to pass, but it certainly helps to pass when you're down three touchdowns in a game if anybody playing quarterback for montana state is throwing the ball 30 times they're gonna lose and if you are any football team in the world and you're going for it four uh, eight times on fourth down you're probably losing that football game too my rival high school went for it on fourth down every time with the exception of teams like the mighty pacific lutheran university lutes under the uh, sage wisdom of Frosty Westering, who had not kicked a field goal, not attempted one, in four years. What a deal. D3 football. Let's roll. You know what's so funny about that is what? that there's so many people it's more doing relevant than FBS, the FBS? Pop, mm. podcasts that are saying FCS football. What right. a deal. But Yeah, I mean, Frosty Westerling is more relevant than the FBS, certainly. I mean... He's a Hall of Famer. Better than the poinsettia bowl. At least they have a playoff. David's wearing a poinsettia bowl no sweatshirt, no which comment. is why that comment was made for those of you who can't no see comment. us, which is all of you. All right. Ryan went 3-1 and one on the other FCS games. West Georgia put the smackdown on North Greenville 42-21. As touched on earlier, South Dakota State covered in beautiful fashion for both Ryan and Coulter. James Madison covered... Uh, as well, and North Dakota State. So actually, I have it wrong. They went three and one on those games, and Coulter went three and one on those games, and Ryan went four and zero. Oh. Bingo, make it happen. And then in the FBS, they went two and one. So I believe, if I can do my math correctly on this one, Coulter eight and two. 
what I did last week. So what does this tell you? The less you know, the better you are. Is that what it is? Yep. Let's take a look at the Big Sky Conference uh, standings right now. Montana, Weaver State, Sacramento State. They're the only undefeated teams in conference now, all of them at 2-0. and uh, They are, by the way, uh, the only teams other than Northern Arizona who have only played two conference games. Uh, so uh, they're all back in action this weekend to play their third conference game. Southern Utah, the only team that has not won a conference game yet. They are 0-3 in uh, conference. Everybody else has won at least one. Uh, let's go and take a look at this forthcoming week, Coulter, in the Big Sky Conference. This is what the people are here for. All odds courtesy of Five Dimes. And we start with North Dakota, the enigma that is the Fighting Hawks of North Dakota. They're 3-3 three and three on the season. They are at Cal Poly. Cal Poly coming off a couple of turnovers and thus a 24-point loss uh, to UC Davis. They're back at home in San Luis Obispo. Uh, and they are a one-point home underdog against North Dakota, Coulter, what do you think about this football game? I want to believe in Cal Poly because I do think they have talent, and I think Tim Walsh is a good coach, but they've burned us several times. I mean, they they didn't cover against a bad Southern Utah team. They somehow backdoor covered in an overtime loss to Montana State, and then they just got destroyed last week against UC Davis. It's Cal Poly, here's the advice I'd give to anybody that's listening to this podcast and then making bets. Don't bet on Cal Poly. Cal Poly is two and four in their overall record, one and two in conference, and two and four against the number this year. Don't bet on Cal Poly because it really just comes down to do they fumble the ball or not? And the way to, I mean, the odds of predicting that, it's just a matter of time. And you could have a, multiple games in a row where you don't fumble and then a game where you fumble five times. Right. So um, you, it's just so hard to pick. I mean, I think that the number is exactly right because I do think North Dakota is good on defense. I think they can run the ball, and I think Cal Poly is okay on defense. They're not that great against the run. Cal Poly, though, can run the ball, obviously. So it's just it's such a weird – weird's the wrong word. It's a dead-even matchup. It, this game straight up comes down to does, does Cal Poly take care of the ball or not. If Cal Poly takes care of the ball, I think that they're 10 points better. If they don't, they're 28 points worse. I'm going to go with the home team. Uh, as a one-point underdog to win this thing straight up. I don't have, again, this is one that I would stay away from as far as I possibly could. But uh, for the sake of it, I'm going to go with Cal Poly plus one uh, to uh, to win this football game. The total on this, 60 and a half points. Uh, it's a big, that's a big number, but it's the Big Sky Conference. I'm just going to go the over with it. Coulter, a lot of confidence out of me here. What do you got? I'm going under. Okay. I think both teams are going to want it to be under. And who who do you got? I got, got? Capo. I got the home team. Okay. So we're both on the Mustangs, uh, even though they're two and four against the spread, and we're probably foolish for doing that. Uh, that game, by the way, Pluto Television Channel 544. UC Davis at Southern Utah. Cal Davis still in the top 25. They are a 14-point road favorite. Against the Thunderbirds of Southern Utah, uh, I got UC Davis covering this game easily against Southern Utah. I think Southern Utah is not very good. The only question mark is the total sixty-six and a half points. A lot. Yeah, it's exactly what I said about Cal Poly. Is the opposite of what I'll tell you about if you're if you're betting bet against Southern Utah. Yeah, take the number. Almost no matter who they're playing in the league. I mean they. They Southern Utah covered against Weber last week because, like David said, Weber. 
doesn't enjoy scoring that much, and they still scored 29 points, which is a lot for Weber the, yep. this day and age. But Southern Utah is just in a state of disarray, man. They they have not won a, a league game since 2017. They have only won two of their last, do the math, 18 games, period. One win last year, one win in overtime over a bad Stephen F. Austin team in Cedar City this year. They're only scoring 22 points per game. They're giving up 39.5 points per game. And not only are they playing poorly on defense, but Chris Helbig, the quarterback, has been throwing picks, pick after pick after pick. He threw four picks last week, and I watched that game. Two of the picks were just terrible. I mean, they're just straight up throwing to a linebacker who's sitting in zone coverage, not even really baiting anybody, just threw it right to him. So Mm -hmm. I'm taking UC Davis, and I'm taking the over, only because I think that Davis – We'll light it up. I think Davis is in the mix for 45 to 55 points in this game. So I, I think that uh, I'm taking Davis. I'm taking the over. Yeah, I think uh, Davis wins this uh, uh, pretty easily, uh, as I mentioned. That that number's a big number, though. I mean, even if they scored 45 points, you still need to get three touchdowns out of Southern Utah in order to get to the over. I think I'm going to take the under on this one, be a little contrarian. So, Coulter, you take you take the over at 66.5. I will go under, but we're both on UC Davis, and we both – well, we had no confidence in the Cal Poly Northern Colorado game. We, you and I both have a, a pretty high degree uh, in terms of our like for UC Davis to go ahead and cover that 14-point uh, spread even though they're on the road. Pluto Television, Channel 536 for that football game. Next one, Portland State at the hapless Northern Colorado Bears. Portland State coming off a 24-0 squash of Idaho. They are a 10.5-point road favorite at Northern Colorado. This is the 11 sports game of the week on Pluto Television, Channel 541. Golter, again, this is one that I like uh, uh, for a lot of different reasons, but Portland State, is they're they're a decent team and northern colorado is terrible i know it's a home game it's a more even matchup probably than what it was last week for uh, northern colorado but i got portland state covering this 10 and a half points well portland state's been explosive on offense several times this year portland state scored in the 50s last week as well so the, i mean they scored in the 50s twice in conference play so uh i agree i actually think the number is smaller than it should be i, I would say portland state a two touchdown favorite in this right. thing um I got the Vikings to cover, and uh, I'm taking the over. The uh, The number is 15-and-a-half. I'm going way over on this one. So you and I are in complete agreement. Portland State covers, and the number goes over 50-and-a-half. Coulter, our next game, the Big Sky, I find to be a very intriguing one. The number four team in the nation, Weber State, hosting Northern Arizona. Weber State, a 15-and-a-half point favorite versus the Lumberjacks of NAU. And NAU, I think we know what NAU is this season. They're a middle-of-the-road Big Sky team, right? I mean, that's kind of what they are. But when you have the X factor of Case Cookus as the quarterback for this team, you know, there's there's always a chance that this team can jump up and be really, really dangerous. Uh Number five in the nation in passing yards this season, Case Cook has 2,075 yards so far this year. We know how good the Weber State defense is. We know how good the Weber State special teams are. We also know how bad it seems like the Weber State offense has been. And so I'm not really I, 
I, I don't know. This is like kind of a dangerous game to me a little bit for Weber State. Not so much in, in terms of winning and losing. I think Weber State will win this football game. But uh, when you're talking about 15 and a half points, that's a big number for a defensive heavy Wildcat team against Northern Arizona. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Weber State is another one where I firmly believe in Weber State, and I firmly believe in picking Weber State's games straight up. The lines are so perplexing because Weber State's averaging 25 points per game. They're giving up 18 points per game. That's really good on the defensive side, but when you get lines of double digits, which they've had three weeks in a row, it's just so hard to pick them. Do you know what I mean? Like totally. the, the lines are just the, Weber State is a very hard team to bet for or against because Weber State's four and two on the season and four and two against the spread, which is good, but it's hard to sit here. The and, spreads are just so they're so tough, right? What Coulter is describing is called gambling. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, David. <laughs> but like teams that score a bunch. I, I don't know. I think that like all I think that all the teams, all the good teams in the league are way easier to gauge like how and how much they're gonna win by compared to Weber State. Totally. Because Weber State might just completely thrash you and beat you seventeen to three and not cover that spread, even though they right. just annihilate you. Uh against FCS opponents this year. They beat Cal Poly 41-24, a 17-point victory. They beat Northern Iowa 29-17, one by 12. They won at Idaho, and this is the outlier, 41-35. Did not cover that game, by the way, in a very high-scoring, bizarre game uh, that they, they, they win by six points. And then last week against Southern Utah, and a not very good Southern Utah win uh, team, they win very handily. It was 29-14, and it's a, a you know, a – a 15-point victory, uh, which, again, doesn't cover the spread that they had on it. And because the scores, when we think about scores as a measure of how much better a team is, that's where Weber State falls short because they are so much better than these teams, but it's not borne out in the final total. It's borne out right. in the way that they just simply asphyxiate the teams that they play, basically. And... And again, to your point, Jay Hill could give one rip about any of this, okay? I'll say this, okay? We want everybody to listen. Jay Hill is not listening to the FCS Speculators podcast, <laughs> right? Okay, he could give, uh, uh, could care less about all of this. Give me a 6 nothing victory all day long, and I will go happily on my way to another deep playoff run. You know, that's where he's at. So the the big numbers when it comes to Weber State do scare me a little bit. And when it's NAU, they're good enough, it seems to me, to cover this. So I'm, I'm taking the Lumberjacks to, you know, maybe lose by two scores in this football game. You know, a couple of, couple of big plays by Case Cookus and Weber State will win this game. I think they're going to win it handily. But 15.5 is a big number, so I will take NAU even on the road to cover 15.5. It's a good analysis, uh, and everything you said is true. I think last week's number, I think we should have put more credence into the fact that it was a rivalry game. So even though, again, Weber State wins the game handily, they force four interceptions, they win by 15 points, 23.5 is just too big of a game for a rivalry match. It's too big of a number for a rivalry matchup, mm-hmm. no matter what, no matter how bad that Southern Utah team is. The other factor that I think we got to put back into the equation here in terms of Weber State's offense is that Kevin Smith is back. Kevin Smith was Weber State's starting running back several years ago, and then he had a horrific knee injury, and it looked like he might have to step away 
And then in the meantime, Josh Davis, who was the Utah Gatorade Player of the Year, who then stepped in and looked like he was going to be the starter as a true freshman, he gets hurt, but then he comes back. The job is his. He's the national freshman of the year a year ago. And so there was some uncertainty if Kevin Smith would ever be able to return. And even if he did, what would his role be? But now here he is back, and he's been excellent. He rushed for 108 yards a week ago, and he's actually taken a ton of carries from Josh Davis. And you know, you look at Weaver State's statistics right now, and Kevin Smith, not Josh Davis, is Weaver State's leading rusher. He's ru- averaging 4.6 yards per carry. He's got 344 yards rushing and a pair of touchdowns. So they're doing a dual-back system, and that gives them another weapon. And I think that was always the worry with Weber is they are one-dimensional on offense, and they were leaning so heavily on one guy. And it doesn't matter who who you are. You're going to get worn out. But now the fact they have two guys, I think it adds a different element to their offense. The other thing about it is that Jake Constantine remains out. I'm not sure what his status is, the quarterback for Weber. But Caden Jenks, who's been very up and down, he was the starter last week and uh, was – nothing special whatsoever. 13 of 22, 137 yards, one touchdown, no picks. But that's kind of what they want out of their dude. As long as there's no picks, that's the key statistic. So we'll see where Weber State's at offensively. But I agree with you. I think that although I expect Weber State to control this game and win this game, I think NAU has a real chance to cover, especially just because they have one of the better quarterbacks in the country. Uh, okay, so you and I are both on NAU. The number is sixty-two. That seems even with NAU and and you know a, a the great quarterback and Weber State with a much improved running game seems like a big number to me. I got the under on sixty-two with the great Weber State defense holding this thing down and 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 more of a possession type of contest. I go under sixty-two. I got the under as well. That game available on Pluto Television Channel five thirty-five. Talk about a rivalry game. How about this? State of Idaho up for grabs this week. Idaho State on the road at the Vandals. Idaho State a six-and-a-half-point road favorite uh, in Moscow against the uh, the Vandals. Coulter, last year, Idaho State absolutely humiliated Idaho in, in, uh, in Pocatello. Eight touchdown passes for Tanner Guller. Yeah. Uh, I don't, Eight. I don't, Think of that. One game. Here's what I want to know. Will that matter to Idaho this week? Like, will will the guys that were there for that remember that? And will, you know, will Petrino use that as fuel? I would think you would try to, but will, I guess the point is, will they remember it? Of course they will, but will they care? Does it matter to them that they lost to Idaho State? Because, again, Idaho, a once a, a, a new member of the Big Sky Conference coming from uh, 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 the, the Sun, what is it, the Sunburst? <laughs> Sunbelt? <laughs> yes, it is the Sunbelt. I know it's not Sunburst, but it just got I, – I made myself laugh imagining that there was a Sunburst conference uh, in the world. Point being, these kids that are – the Idaho State kids, it mattered to them to play Idaho last year. I don't think it mattered to Idaho kids that they were playing Idaho State because most of them – weren't the rivalry as inside the state of Idaho most of these kids aren't even from Idaho that were playing for the Vandals because they had been playing in hello the Sunburst Conference so (laughs) and and there is is gonna stick forever there is still uh uh I mean the, the the seniors on this team are still from the FBS recruiting time so I don't know how much they care about this that said anybody who gets blown out and humiliated the way they did if they have any sort of pride in 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 
playing the game and all that, regardless of whether it's a rivalry or who it's against, I would think that that would be a motivational part of what goes into this week for Idaho. The state of dysfunction has reached the point where we're actually seeing something that we've never seen before, at least to my knowledge, at least in the, I can say with certainty in the league. The new redshirt rule is a very interesting rule in terms of the way that you use a guy or don't use a guy. Like mm. Last year at Montana State, Logan Jones was hurt early on in the year. They knew he was going to be out six to eight weeks. So they said, okay, we're going to let you get healthy until the last four games of the year. Then we're going to play you for four games. And then after the fourth game, you're shutting it down. And that helped Montana State spurt into the playoffs because he was a great offensive weapon that gave them a jolt. But then he had to make the tough decision, hey, if I go play in the playoffs, if we lose, my career is over. Whereas if I don't play, okay, I can come back next year. That's an interesting way to use it. You can also use it where you can have a, a freshman, say, play in four games and then shut it down, and he might be able to contribute. And a guy like Demarius Hosey, for example, at Montana State, he scored a touchdown against Southeast Missouri State, and he's now hasn't played for, I think, four games in a row. So it, it, conventional wisdom would say, unless there's an injury in front of him, he's probably not going to play. Or then, I'm sorry to use Montana State examples, I just know this roster, so f- I'm so familiar with it. So you look at a guy like Carl Tucker at Montana State, who gets hurt in the second game of the year, and he's going to be out for eight weeks. So then you say, okay, shut it down. But what Idaho is doing is they got Mason Petrino as the starting quarterback. Him and Mason or Mason Petrino and Colton Richardson have had an ongoing quarterback battle for the last couple of years. But Petrino's a senior and Richardson's not. So they decided, hey, one last year of Petrino, we're rolling with Petrino. Richardson's going to redshirt. But we're going to use him for four games. This is something I've never seen before where you have a guy that for a given four-game allotment is going to steal time from the starter, but that's all he's going to get. Talk about hard to get into a rhythm. Last week they just threw him in there. He hasn't played in four games, five games, and he goes and throws two picks. Well, of course he did. He has, he's not. He's been in and out of redshirt status, which is such a weird thing to be when you're a quarterback. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. So if they continue that – it's not going to be good for anybody, but if they don't continue it, I mean, Mason Petrino is, has been a turnover machine lately. Since Idaho beat Eastern Washington, they have some of the worst losses in the country. They blew a, a two-score lead to Northern Colorado, gave the Bears their only win of the entire year. They somehow scored 35 points against Weber State, which will be one of the great outliers of the season when this thing is all said and done. But then last week they go to Hillsboro. they still lost. They still lost. And then last week they go to Portland State and they have 161 yards of offense and they score zero points. Um, so they're just in a state of disarray. Idaho's not good. Uh, Idaho State minus 6.5. I'm taking Idaho State minus 20 if you gave it to me. I mean, I think Idaho State – Idaho State is going to run it up on Idaho once again. I, uh, you know, I wanted to set this up with like a sense of, of, uh, you know, mystery. The Bengals at minus six and a half is is a no brainer. I have a couple of picks that I really like this week. I'm not sure if I want to make this my lock of the week, but I'm tempted to make this my lock of the week with Idaho State uh, hammering Idaho. The other thing that I'm, I'm very, I mean, I. Don't, I like on this, the over-under is 55. Now, if Idaho goes out and scores zero points, it's hard to get to the total. But guess what? Each of the last three weeks, somebody playing in an Idaho State game has scored 50 or more. Twice, it was Idaho State themselves. Yep. Once it was Montana who they're playing against. But I got the over on this thing because here's the thing. Idaho has some talent, so they could score some points. 
But if Mason Petrino is bad and turns the ball over, guess what? Idaho State's going to score a ton of points. So either way, I think points get scored in this football game. It's in a dome. You got a good situation there. Idaho State does have a potent offense, and I think Rob Fennessy is uh, is coming for Paul Petrino once again uh, in the rivalry game and uh, and looking to make a statement uh, about just who you should play for inside the state of Idaho. You know, this is a, this is a huge game right here. There. There's not that many recruits in the state of Idaho, okay, for two schools to go after together. When Idaho, the Vandals, were not participating in the Big Sky Conference, sure, they could still try and get recruit Idaho, but they were also, their footprint was much larger. Now their footprint is a lot more regional. It's a lot more in-state. I think that in-state recruiting is critical. It's certainly critical in the state of Montana, and I think Idaho is a state like Montana in that respect. You've got to get the best guys in your state to come to your school. This is a big, big game for that. Rob Fennessy knows it. He's going to go after uh, 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 the Vandals in this game, and I think Idaho State wins handily, and consequently, I take the over as well. I, I, I agree. I agree with everything you said. Okay. I think that uh, – Idaho State is such a fascinating analysis because I think that when their offense gets rolling, they're going to be able to straight up score on anybody. And I think that that hit that Matt Strzok took in Mont in Missoula that really shook him up. He didn't complete a pass for I think eleven game minutes after that. That was the one thing that's derailed Idaho State's offense during conference play. Other than that, they've just been straight chucking it and shredding everybody. Mm-hmm. Those receivers are great. I thought Mitch Goler looked uh, a step slow in Missoula. And then Two he goes steps. out, and then he goes out and has 119 yards receiving the first half last week. So he he reminded me, okay, I still am a first team all league big sky talent. So um, I agree with you. I think Idaho State rolls in this game. I think they score at will. That is your Root Sports Game of the Week uh, on Root t- uh, Television. Okay, last matchup of the weekend, a top 15 matchup suddenly. The Montana Grizzlies coming off their bye week, heading to Sacramento, California, to take on the newly minted number 15 team in the nation, the Sacramento State Hornets. Sac State undefeated in FCS play. Montana undefeated in FCS play. It's a trend-breaking game. Is that what they say? Something's got to give. It's a something's got to give you. This is a great game, man. This is a great game. Montana, a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this football game. I think that, if nothing else, should show you the respect that, that, that Sacramento State is getting. I know it's a home game. They're the number 15 team in the nation. But Montana has been crushing everybody, everybody in their path. And they have played just as well as you could possibly play. They uh, beat Monmouth by 20. They beat UC Davis, the then number four team in the nation, by 25 on the road. They beat Idaho State, a very good and potent offense, 59-20, to win by 39 points over the Bengals, and uh, went on a 59-3 run in that game, and then had their bye. The only thing, and you can take out of this what you will, at his press conference yesterday, Bobby Houck sort of just mentioned in passing that you know sometimes if you're playing really well you don't really want the bye week to come but here it is and they they you know have it usually people talk about well it's a great time to get healthy it's a great time to you know self-scout and so forth and so on but Montana was rolling in such a fashion that they I think maybe would have liked to have just kept playing nonetheless uh, they got to go and they got to get the thing restarted at a really really good Sacramento State team I think both of these teams are going to be up for this game this is the most intriguing game of the weekend for me in the Big Sky Conference. Idaho-Idaho State is actually as well just because it is the big rivalry that way. But this game in terms of two 
really, really quality teams uh, who have an interesting matchup, two outstanding quarterbacks going against each other, two teams that have been very good in the run game going up against each other, and uh, uh, you know, two defenses that have been very strong as well. Uh, this is this is uh, an outstanding matchup here. What do you see in this football game, Coulter? I think this is a great example. This last this two weeks will be a great example of showing exactly how important matchups are in the Big Sky Conference. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily think that means as much as people would want to think in terms of the quality of the team and the potential of the teams. So say, for example, Montana goes down and wins this game by two scores. Grizz fans are going to be screaming and yelling, we are so much better than the Cats. I don't think that that's necessarily true as far as I think that these are the three best teams besides Weaver State in the conference. And I think that each individual school, when you play each other, the matchups are so interesting. Team team A beats Team B. Team B beats Team C. So then Team A thinks, well, we should crush Team C. But no, no, no. Easy. It all just matters. Like, who is over there and what do you do well? Like, Weber State will be the toughest matchup in the league for Sac State because Weber State has the best secondary. Mm. So they they can fluster Kevin Thompson a little bit. Whereas when these teams are playing, you know, the, the greatest advantage Sac State has defensively is their ability to stuff the run and then get after the passer. Well, Montana has shown, I, th- I think this has been one of the biggest parts of progression for Montana this year, that if the inside run game's not working, they're not so stubborn and dead set on making it work like they were a year ago. If the inside run game's not working, they start throwing the ball to Sammy Kim and Smart Torrey yeah. and say, good luck, defense. So I think that, that that's an interesting part of this whole thing. Like I told you earlier this week on Two Tail Nuanas, I am not sure how to evaluate Sac State's defensive secondary because they were not really tested except for when Sac State was up 20 points and Tucker Rovick started throwing the ball against pretty loose prevent coverage. So I don't really know how Sac is going to operate defensively against Montana. But I, I'll say this. I think that Dalton's needs dual threat ability. And Montana's athletes on the outside will give them a decided advantage against every anybody, especially the Sac State team. I think Snead will be able to get the ball out quick, which negates George Obina and the rest of the Sac State D-line. And even though I think Sac's corners are probably pretty good, and I know Marcus Bland, their nickel, is the best nickel in the league, certainly, those guys still are going to be at a disadvantage when they're talking about Montana's players on their perimeter. Now, on the other side, this is going to be the test, right? Because I think the Grizz have been excellent defending the run. And quite frankly, everybody's been excellent defending the run against Sac State, even though Bobby Hout calls Elijah Dotson the best running back in the league. His numbers are very in the middle of the road when you talk about rushing. But he is the best pass-catching back in the league. He's got 39 receptions. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's averaging about six catches for 70 yards a game out of the backfield, which gives you Kevin Thompson an automatic outlet, which makes their offense even more diverse. That'll be something Montana has to pay attention to. You wonder if they use Jace Lewis maybe as a spy on Elijah Dotson. We'll see. Um, But I think that this is going to be a true test for Montana's secondary because we saw this against Idaho State early. That third safety they play, which has been Josh Shandry. We'll see what his health is like this week because he he didn't play the second half of that Idaho State game. But Nash Fouch showed good returns as well. That third safety has to be sort of a hybrid nickel. Idaho State exploited that early, but then Montana adjusted, and Mikey Dean out of the slot for Idaho State did not do much at all afterwards. So how does the Montana secondary match up against the Sac State receivers, and can they put pressure on Kevin Thompson? I think those are the two key factors on that side of the ball. All that's to say is that 
is Sac State ready? They've beat two ranked teams in a row. That's the first time they've done that in more than a decade. They're into the top 25 for the first time since 2011, beating the number six team on the road. That's the highest ranked team they have beaten in their football program's history. But now they're playing the number five team in the country. I think the matchup's a lot tougher for them this week. I think Montana, two and a half, I think it's a pretty good number, but I think that the Grizzlies are going to be able to do what they want offensively. So therefore, I think they're going to cover this number. The thing that I'm maybe most intrigued in in this game is I think Montana with Bobby Houck and with Rosenbaugh, with Kent Bear and the rest of that staff, they've outcoached every opponent that they've had and 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 done it beautifully. I mean, just look at the second halves that they've had and and they have they have just been able to get their guys ready and then scheme it up. And this offense have been, has been simply explosive uh, this entire season. And the defense has really played lights out for the most part as well. I mean, really impressive both directions. That said, I don't think I've seen uh, a coaching staff more better than another coaching staff than what I saw out of Sacramento State against Montana State on Saturday. I mean, Troy Taylor and that group, uh, including Andy Thompson, a former Grizz, the defensive coordinator, I mean, they just did whatever they wanted to to Jeff Cho and the Montana State Bobcats on Saturday. And so that to me is a, you know, is maybe a bit of a wash and I'm excited to see the chess match as it were of these, you know, two two staffs coming together both in terms of what they come out with and then the adjustments that they make throughout the course of the game. Uh, Andy Thompson, who I referenced, as well as Craig Paulson, both on the defensive staff uh, for uh, Troy Taylor, both former Grizzlies. How about that? And uh, it seems like Montana, every just about every place they go, there's somebody who was at Montana that's now at the school inside the conference. But obviously a couple of big ones there. Craig Paulson, the original number 37 for the University of Montana and the legacy number. So uh, this is going to be a really fun matchup. Montana has just been utterly dominant. I mean, they, they've really been uh, – uh, nobody has touched them, uh, you know, outside of Oregon, okay, but, but I mean, this entire year. I mean, they played Oregon far better than most of Oregon's Pac-12 opponents played Oregon so far. So uh, I, I, got, I got the Grizzlies until further notice, man, and I love Sac State. I think they're great. In fact, I know they're great. They're a very good football team. They're deserving of their 15 ranking. In fact, they probably deserve to be higher. It's a home game. All that stuff, something's got to give in this one. And until I see Montana not play really well, which I haven't yet, uh, I'm I'm taking the Grizzlies. So minus two and a half, sure, they win by three. Maybe they win by 13. But I think Montana's going to get this thing done on Saturday. And uh, and and Sacramento State is going to you know suffer their first defeat. And and and. It won't be it won't be an indictment on it either team, frankly, to lose this football game. But I think Montana is the better club right now. Every team in the league has a defined weakness. I think Montana does it as well. The difference with the Grizz and everybody else in the big sky is that the Grizz have the ultimate answer that no one else has found an answer for, and that's the guys on the outside. It does not matter what happens, how you're playing defensively. It doesn't matter if you can't run the ball. It doesn't matter if Dalton Sneed's not getting loose, not getting outside the pocket. Until further notice, no one can guard Sammy Akim and Samari Torres. That's right. That's right. And so when you have that advantage, I mean, what happened when Montana was down 17 nothing to Idaho State? They throw said, it. they said, scrap it. We're yep. going to line up number 18 on the single side. We're going to throw them a 108 slant. yards in the second quarter. 
Eight catches. Yeah. 108 yards. I mean, Dalton Sneed really threw it to him eight out of the ten passes. Eight out of ten passes on two touchdown drives were all isolation, short to medium slants to Sammy Kim. Because why not? Because why not? And that's the thing is yeah. there's answers to everything. There's even answers to Troy Anderson at Montana State. There's even answers to Kevin Thompson and Elijah Dotson at Sac State. So far, there's no answer to Sammy Kim and Smart Torres. So because of that, I think the Grizz – are going to win this game. The number's a big one, 62. I'm still taking the over. I am too. Okay. Uh, Lock of the week, what do you got? The That is, by the way, uh, available on CW Sacramento and SWX Montana in uh, Montana and Pluto Television Channel 533. My lock of the week, I actually have a couple that I like uh, here. I like UC Davis, minus 14 over Southern Utah. I'm tempted to make that my lock, but I'm more tempted. <laughs> and maybe, you know, I don't know. I'm more tempted to just make Idaho State the lock of the week at minus six and a half. I think. Uh, what What am I, David? In my locks of the week this year, how am I doing on the locks of the week? Three and zero. Oh? See, I got. How a, am I doing? I got a streak to continue right here. Coulter is one and two on his locks of the week, uh, so they can't be the same thing. So I'll tell you what. I'll give you yours first, and then I'll make mine after you, so we don't have the same thing. What's uh, your lock? My of lock week? of the week is uh, UC Davis minus fourteen. It is over Southern Utah. Yep. Wow. Okay, that's the one that I, I that was one I liked a lot as well. I hate picking the totals, but I love taking Idaho State Idaho at over fifty five. Yeah. I think that's a I think that's a really good play. But what I'm going to do is take Idaho State by winning at, by at least a touchdown, and I will make Idaho State my lock of the week over the Vandals in a rivalry game. And uh, Coulter, you can take uh, UC Davis, which I also very much agree with at minus fourteen over Southern Utah. It's time now for one of our favorite portions of the FCS Speculators podcast, Four Questions, where we go around the country asking the same four questions to folks who are covering teams in the FCS at the national level, uh, but not in the Big Sky Conference. So first, we welcome back to the show Josh Criswell of the Huntsville Item. He covers Sam Houston State, Sam Houston State homecoming against Nichols. Here we go. Four questions with Josh Criswell. Sam Houston State's a team that had a couple of you know early close losses, lost to New Mexico and North Dakota on the road. And then we're really on a roll as Southland play got started. 3-0 and start, top of the Southland Conference, heading into a game they should have won last week at home against Lamar. And then, uh, you know, a little bit of factors come into play. Sam Houston State's been decimated by injuries at the quarterback position. They're down three quarterbacks with one of those three guys essentially playing on one leg right now in Ty Brock. Even had to mix in their scout team quarterback briefly there in the second half. And the end result was, you know, one of the best defensive performances in school history went to waste as Sam put up seven points in regulation and ended up losing in triple overtime to Lamar. This week right here, this is probably going to be a turning point for them. I mean, they're at the point where if they want to get to playoffs, they can maybe afford one more loss in Southland play, at least the way things look right now. And unfortunate for them, they have the number one team in the conference, the defending champs, Nichols, coming into town. So going to be a tough test for them, but I would say if one thing is giving them optimism, it's my personal belief that Sam Houston State has the best defense in the country right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at Sam Houston State, what makes them so dangerous, and it's all about up front defensively. They're first in the country in tackles for loss, right up there in takeaways, fifth in rushing defense. And coming into town is Nichols, who has the number one rushing offense in the Southland Conference. So you're going to see a battle that I think Sam Houston State can win there on the defensive side. 
The issue is, can they put up enough offensively? They have one of the best receivers in the country in Nathan Stewart. They have a running back in Donovan Williams. He's really broken out the last two games, averaging a little over 100 yards and a touchdown in just the second half alone the last two weeks. But they're going to need something to get going. Their passing game was probably produced one of the worst passing performances I've ever seen you know, at the college level since I got here covering Sam Houston State last season. And, and like I mentioned earlier, it's all about those injuries. They're down basically three QBs. Whenever you're using a scout team quarterback that's primary position as receiver and uh, kick holder, you're not really in a, in a good spot offensively. They really like to have a balanced attack. And one thing you've heard a lot from the coaching staff is that desire to get the running game going early. And it's something that hasn't really happened these last, especially in recent weeks. seems like the running game is almost non-existent in the first half. And then they finally get going, start wearing down the defense, and then that running game starts to break things open a little bit. And then passing the ball, it's hard really to tell what they want to do right now. In an ideal world, they would love to air it out and swing the ball around like they did when they blew out Incarnate Word by you know 39 points in the, uh, in the conference opener. Had over 500 yards passing, five passing touchdowns. But that was with a different guy at quarterback, a guy who was healthy. Now you have a guy who can barely move around in the pocket, having trouble stepping into throws because his ankles bother him so much. So it's really hard to tell what's going to go on with that offense. They'd like to get some tempo going, but it's just something that hasn't really been possible, especially the last couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, the quarterback situation for Sam Houston State, they're going to in all likelihood roll with Ty Brock, who's been battling an ankle injury since the conference opener. Um, they're down starting quarterback Eric Schmid, as well as senior Mike Dare, who underwent hip surgery right before the season. You could also see a couple other guys. They have some true freshmen that, if needed, they could potentially throw in there. Ryan Humphreys is a guy, the scout team quarterback I mentioned. A lot of athleticism there. The teammates love him. A little bit undersized, though, and you haven't really seen him, at least in-game situation, very limited sample size, but couldn't really get the passing game going in the few opportunities that they had with him out there. Um, but as far as what you need to know, the thing about Nichols is the quarterback position is basically a completely different story for them. They have a, a senior in Chase Forcade, who is the Southlands returning player of the year, and honestly one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country, which is one of the things that's been really interesting about this season. I mean, Nichols is putting up under 200 yards passing a game, but they have the number one rushing offense in the conference. So you see Nichols kind of evolving, and I think it's a big reason, you know, that versatility is playing a big part in why they're leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of the conference right now. I was a little bit taken aback uh, whenever I was texting y'all's producer, and he told me that Sam was favored in this game. I thought, you know, maybe Sam will be a touchdown underdog. And in that case, I, I might even lean towards the Bearcats. But just coming off of last week, even as good as that defense has been, it's hard to see the offense putting up enough to go out there and beating Nichols by more than three points. But as far as the under goes, I also think that Sam Houston State defense is going to prevent any chance at all of this game getting close to that over. Next up, Jeff Hartzell from the Charleston Post and Courier. He covers the Citadel, the Citadel hosting Furman this week. Furman, an 18-point favorite in this one. Here you go. Four questions with Jeff Hartzell. First of all, the Citadel is, as you may know, a military school, 
in the mode of BMI or Army or Air Force. The only difference between the Citadel and a place like West Point or Air Force Academy is the cadets are not required to go into the military. So about 25 to 30% of Citadel cadets do go into the military. This season, the Bulldogs are 3-4 and four overall, and their, uh, their moment of glory was an upset win at Georgia Tech a couple of weeks ago. It was actually the Citadel's first win over a current ACC team. Furman and the Citadel are old rivals. This is actually the 99th game between the two teams, Furman in Greenville, South Carolina, and the Citadel in Charleston. And they've actually split over the last 10 years, 5-5, five and five, although Furman has won two straight. In my view, Furman is the best team in the Southern Conference this year. They opened with losses against FBS squads, Georgia State, Virginia Tech. But since then, they've won four straight, and uh, the Paladins are really on a roll. The coach is Brent Thompson, who was actually the offensive coordinator when Mike Houston was the head coach here. You might remember Mike Houston. He went on to James Madison and I think won the national championship, and now he's at East Carolina. So Mike Houston was the head coach when the Citadel won SOCON championships in 2015 and 16, and Brent Thompson was his offensive coordinator. They run the triple option offense, much in the style of Army and a little bit like uh, Air Force and Navy. So that kind of mold seems to fit uh, military schools. So they will run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and they average probably uh, five, six, seven passes a game. I wouldn't call them potent this year. They've kind of had their ups and downs. Uh, they had the win over Georgia Tech, but they followed that up with losses to Samford in four overtimes, and then they lost to VMI for the first time since 2002. But they've had their struggles this year. Their quarterback, Brandon Rainey, has been injured ever since the Georgia Tech game has not been at 100%. Uh, they did play better last week in a win over 35-17 win over Western Carolina in which they rushed for 339 yards. Well, I think the question boils down to whether the Citadel defense can slow down this Furman offense, which is very potent. Devin Wynn is probably the best running back in the Southern Conference, averaging 106 yards a game and 8.4 yards per carry. And the big difference has been they've really found a great quarterback in redshirt freshman Darren Granger, he's six foot four from Conway, South Carolina. He's hitting 60% of his passes, 11 TDs, and just two interceptions. So uh, as long as Darren Granger is playing like this, Furman will be hard to beat. That's pretty wild because my prediction for the game was Furman 36, Citadel 14, which is 18 points. So uh, that's, a, that's a good number. I would bet on Furman to win by more than 18. And finally, Kevin Tresolini from the News Journal and DelawareOnline.com. He covers the Blue Hens of Delaware who are playing New Hampshire this week for questions with Kevin Tresolini. Well, first of all, historically, Delaware is, is one of the uh, well-known teams at the FCS uh, level. They've won six national championships in their history. Uh, the first one back in the 1940s, the most recent one, that, uh, that was in, in, in wire service, small college football, as they called it back then. Uh, the most recent one in 2003 uh, in uh, NCAA Division One AA. They've been in the in the in the championship game twice since then. So there's a you know there's quite a history here, and you know folks out in Montana certainly understand uh, you know the uh, how much how much history how important history can be uh, you know when it comes to these programs. So there's a strong football history here. You know recent history hasn't been so strong. Delaware 
um, made the NCAA playoffs last season. First time they'd been in there since 2010 when they lost in the finals to Eastern Washington. Uh, that's the longest playoff drought Delaware had ever had. Delaware had never gone more than three years without making the playoffs. Uh, and then they didn't make it from, from uh, uh, they made it in 2010, didn't make it again until uh, last year. Now, this year, um, they have a veteran offense, but they have a very young defense. So that's kind of been, uh, that's kind of been the question about, you know, about this year. Can they get back to the playoffs having such a young defense? A lot of redshirt freshmen and sophomores starting in their back seven and their, in their, in their linebacking crew and in their secondary uh, crew. They are three and three. Uh, one and one in the Colonial Athletic Association. Uh, they are coming off the second most lopsided defeat they have ever suffered as a member of this league, which goes back to 1986. They lost 42 to seven at Elon last week. Uh, uh, as I said, it was the second most lopsided defeat Delaware had ever suffered in this league. The other one was against Richmond back in the 90s. So it was quite a humbling experience down there. Uh, at Elon Delaware did not play well. It was a close game in the first half. Uh, a fumble right before halftime prevented Delaware from tying the game, and then Elon just dominated the second half. So, uh, you know, Delaware uh, really struggled in that game. Earlier in the year, they, uh, uh, they had had a very successful league opener, winning in triple overtime at Rhode Island. And the odd thing about losing down at Elon was Delaware was coming off a really strong effort in its previous game, a 17-14 loss at Pitt. Atlantic Coast Conference member uh, Delaware had actually led that game going into the uh, fourth period before losing 17-14. So, you know, things are a little bit uh, confusing in Newark. People aren't really sure how good this team is. The other trouble they're having right now as they go into the New Hampshire game is their quarterback, Nolan Henderson, third-year sophomore starter, uh, uh, suffered a concussion in the Elon game uh, on a targeting call in the first period, was lost in that game, and uh, you know looks like he may miss this game as well. He's a very elusive kid, good runner, good thrower. You know, really gives the offense kind of a spark. So uh, it, you know, it looks like they might, they may not have him. So that kind of hurts them against. Uh, New Hampshire. Delaware and New Hampshire have had quite a rivalry over the years. They've played 22 times since they've been league rivals in what began as the Yankee Conference became the Atlantic 10 is now the Colonial Athletic Association. And they've split those 22 meetings, uh, winning 11 each. And it's, it's often been a down to the wire game. They've really had some classics over the years. And, uh, there's a good chance this could be another one. New Hampshire's ranked 22nd in the country. Delaware's ranked 24th. Uh, New Hampshire's won four in a row. Delaware's coming off a really uh, humbling and difficult loss, so uh, it could be an interesting an interesting afternoon at Delaware Stadium. The uh, you know the offense has a new coordinator this year, Jared Ambrose, uh, who uh, he had been the offensive coordinator uh, the offensive coordinator at Towson, Delaware CAA rival, uh, with his brother uh, under his brother as the head coach, uh, Rob Ambrose. Uh, Jared, who actually had coached at Delaware uh, uh, about 10 years ago when Joe Flacco was here as, as, a, as a GA, um, has come back and kind of opened things up a little bit. They, um, you, know, you know, they're using some more run-pass option, uh, things like that to try to keep defenses guessing. So they've been a little bit less predictable, a little bit less straight ahead, I would say, offensively this year uh, with Jared running the show. Uh, again, you know, losing, losing their quarterback kind of takes away 
some of the things they can do. Uh, Pat Keogh, who was the starter last year, um, uh, before before Nolan took the job from him this year, is a little bit more of a drop-back passer, not as much of a running threat, though he will run. He, he's, he, he's bigger um, than, than Nolan, you know, not quite as quick and elusive as, as Nolan as he's a little bit more of a drop-back a drop back passer. Delaware has not run the ball as effectively as it would like, averaging just 3.7 yards per carry, which is 10th in the CAA. They've really just kind of struggled to get the running game on track, and they, and they also have given up the most sacks in the CAA. So they're really kind of struggling in that regard to, to, to kind of protect the quarterback better, get more yards out of the running game. They really, they really need to do better in both of those areas. They have a new receiving crew this year after graduating their top four receivers from last year, and they have done a good job of getting those guys uh, accustomed to what they're doing. They've got some pretty good receivers, Byrick Pitts in particular, and Gene Coleman uh, are two guys who uh, who can certainly threaten the defense and and, uh, and make it difficult for them. Uh, so so it's a very well rounded offense. They you know they can hurt you both ways. They can hurt you on the ground but they just haven't been able to do that as consistently uh, as they would like. Defensively, Delaware's kind of a hybrid. Uh, they used to run a little bit more 3-4 with some 4-3. Now they're doing a little bit more 4-3 uh, while still incorporating some 3-4. Uh, they're very young in the linebacking crew and in the secondary crew, starting a lot of redshirt freshmen and sophomores back there. A little bit more experience up front. Um, but the problem they've had, they've had is they are not getting sacks. They only have one all year, fewer than anybody in the country at any level, any NCAA uh, level, and uh, they are also not getting tackles for law. Uh, so that's really hurt them. Uh, that they, they've just had a difficult time doing that, and um, they're, you know, they're hoping that maybe this is the week they can do a little bit better uh, in, in, in that regard. New Hampshire's got a couple pretty good running backs. Uh, New Hampshire is, is always a very difficult team to defend. They, they've always run a very imaginative offense. They can really catch a, uh, catch a defense guessing. They might run a play with two quarterbacks on the field, and neither one of them will get the ball. Uh, it's, it's always been really fun to watch and uh, can, re- can, can be really difficult to defend. So uh, this is, uh, is going to be a test for the Delaware defense, which, uh, uh, as I said, has a, you know, has a lot of young guys in there. Now they've got some injuries on their defensive line, too. They're missing a couple of guys on their defensive line which is where they've had their experience. Uh, and they really haven't stopped the run as well as they had hoped to and would have liked to. Uh, and that's going to be probably job number one against New Hampshire because that's the thing that New Hampshire has done the best is run the football. Yeah, this is, this is definitely anybody's game. It could, it could really go either way. Uh, Delaware and New Hampshire rarely have a low-scoring game. They, you know, they, usually both, they usually both put some points on the board and uh, uh, you know, New Hampshire is New Hampshire does have uh, uh, one of the better defenses in the league uh, this year, and they are going to make it difficult for Delaware, especially you know with the fact with the fact that Delaware is is kind of struggling with their quarterback situation right now, uh, with their with their top quarterback being out. Uh, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna say that they do get past the 39, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say New Hampshire 24, Delaware 21. With the Wildcats coming down here and uh, spoiling spoiling the Blue Hens uh, home uh, or, the, or the Blue Hens Parents Day uh, game. 
Okay, very good. Four questions in the book. And now, Coulter, it's our turn to pick these three big national games against the spread. And we bring in our esteemed producer, David Graff, to set these up for us. All right, David. Nichols, Sam Houston State. What do we got? All right, we got number nine, Nichols, at Sam Houston State. Sam Houston State is surprisingly, as Chriswell noted, a three-point favorite. He and I were exchanging texts. He was like, are you sure? Are you sure? Right. When the guy who covers the team is incredulous that the team that he covers is favored, that's a good a good time to go the other way. That's my indicator right there. For what it's worth, Saturday will also mark the first time the Cats have hosted a top 10 ranked team since they beat number two Eastern Washington in 2013. Mm. The Cats have won each of the last six times they have hosted a team ranked in the top 10 of the polls dating back through 2004. And let's be clear. The Bearcats is what we're talking about here, Sam Houston State, because there's many different cats out there. Wild, Bob, you know, you never know. Bear. We're on the Bearcat track today. I also don't remember the exact number, but Nichols is like one and nine in their last 10 against Sam. Really? But they're the number nine team in the nation, and Sam Houston in their homecoming is favored, even though they are not ranked at all. I'm going with the expert here, Coulter. I'm taking Nichols. And three points, thank you very much. I realize that he says Sam Houston State has the best defense in the country, which is an impressive statement. With their, if they're down to their third quarterback, or who's already hobbled, or one of their three quarterbacks that's injured, the other two unavailable, I'm going to take Nichols State with the three points, and I will certainly take the under. The Southland has gone through such a weird transition because for a long time, the Southland was one of the best conferences. used to be the Power Four in the FCS. The Southland was there with the Missouri Valley, the Colonial Athletic Association, and the Big Sky. No longer, and so much of that is because of the the downgrading in the programs of places like specifically Stephen F. Austin, Sam Houston State. I mean, those were perennial top 20 programs. Yes. Central Arkansas is still there. But I think a lot of it's because of the new programs that have popped up and programs that have moved to the FBS. I mean, you got North Texas, Texas State. They're stealing the recruits now. Mm. And that FBS carrot, I think, is stealing kids that might have, you know, if you're if you're recruiting on a level playing field, a kid might go to Sam Houston because they have success. But now, oh, we can go play the FBS. Mm-hmm. It, I think they're stealing a lot of kids. That said, Nichols is brand new on the scene when it comes to Southland Powers, and Sam Houston's not. And I think that Huntsville is a tough place to get to, tough place to play. They have a real home field advantage because they do average 14,000, 15,000 fans a game. They got a great band. So I think Sam Houston, they have great, they always have great speed. Criswell said they have a great defense. Nichols, it's a game that Nichols has got to win to affirm themselves because they've only been on this national scene for a couple years. But. Uh, I think that uh, Sam Houston State's going to win this game. This is the analysis you can come to expect right here. Coulter likes Sam Houston State. They have a great band. Nobody thinks that's funny. That's hilarious, guys. Come on now a little bit. They're laughing at home. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Uh, very good. You take Sam Houston. David, game number two, Citadel Furman. All right. We heard Hartzell, who's not very good at math, pick Furman. <laughs> Uh, 99th meeting between these two teams. Furman's an 18-point favorite on the road. Who do you guys got? Well, Citadel had their big win over Georgia Tech, but Georgia Tech is atrocious, as we know. Uh, Furman, a very good football team. 
I'm going to take Furman. Uh, Laying 18 points is quite a lot. I'm comfortable doing it. I don't really know why. I'm going to take Furman on this one because the math said so. Even though it wasn't 18 points, it was like a 22 point, whatever it is, I'll take Furman. To, uh, to to go ahead and and have their way with Citadel in a in a rivalry game. I mean, this is this is a big rivalry. This is a a a, a long long history here, and and that I think usually brings both teams to their best. And if both teams play really well, Furman is going to play very well, and I think handle their business. Rivalry game plus triple option means. Closer score than people are going to expect. Oh, going the other way. And we saw in Utah's terrible, and we watched them cover the spread against Weber State because it's a rivalry game. I just think that Citadel has the ability. The Citadel has the ability to cover the spread because of their ability to control the ball. And in a rivalry game, I think they'll want to keep the score down. So I'm taking Citadel, and I'm taking the under. You ever been to Charleston, South Carolina? Yeah, I have not. Man, what a town! Great food. You got the, the Citadel sitting there, but also just all the old what embankments and encumbrances and whatever the old time, uh, you know, uh, war uh, dialogue lexicon would be. It's just it's 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 remarkable and very nice and on the coast. Anyway, love Charleston. All right. All right. Our last big game, the only other ranked game besides Montana and Sacramento State, number 22. New Hampshire travels to number 24, Delaware. Delaware is a one-and-a-half-point dog. Kevin Tresselini from uh, News Journal slash DelawareOnline.com. He liked New Hampshire. Me personally, I don't know if I would pass up a chance to take the points when uh, Delaware's QB is Joe Flacco's brother. Anytime you got a Flacco with the points, you got to <laughs> take him. <laughs> That's all the analysis I know. <laughs> Thank you, David. That is that is good analysis. Uh, you know, it's a family affair there for the Blue Hens now. Um, I've been to Delaware. Uh, my sister had this very odd infatuation with, like, you know, wherever you live in the country, there's probably a state that you identify as the state that you know about the least, like the one where when the, when the name comes up, there's just blackness on your radar. You got no idea. Montana is that for a lot of people where they're out Most. there. They go, Montana? Mm, uh, don't know. Sorry. Yeah, I won't bang my hand on the thing. Okay. That was Delaware for my sister. So when I was on the East Coast, she's like, you got to go to Delaware. I had just been to a Flyers uh, a Capitals hockey game. I'm driving from Pennsylvania, from Philly, down to D.C., and you go right through Delaware, but it's like 1130. No one lives in Delaware. It's, it's empty. I take the exit, the one exit on the highway going through. I stopped at like some overnight convenience store. It was like a town pump of Delaware. And I found a don't bother me, I'm crabby crab mug, uh, like a coffee mug for my sister in Delaware. So there you go. That's the, what I know about Delaware. What do I know about New Hampshire? Chip Kelly. Give me New Hampshire to cover. It's only one and a half points. If they win the game, they're going to cover almost certainly. They are going to find a way to score a couple of touchdowns. I'll take the offensive team when it's a close game to uh, cover the spread. Looking at the Delaware roster, they have a uh, number zero named Danny Feltwell. He's a, uh, I believe, seven-year-old team captain. 
he is a survivor of childhood cancer. He's been battling T-cell lymphoblastic lymphoma since 2010. Kind of a crazy story. I just looked at the roster, and bam, there's this little kid. Heartwarming story. That has nothing to do with the betting line, though. Delaware definitely needs to prove it this week. They've had a really weird schedule going to triple overtime with Rhode Island in it in the fourth quarter against North Dakota State, but then lost by three scores. Went down to the wire with Pitt, only lost by a field goal. Yeah. But then got straight house last week against Elon, 42-7. to Crazy. So can they bounce back? Um, these are two programs that are probably the two most storied East Coast programs. So this will be a good game because this is sort of like everybody has their main rival, Citadel, the Citadel and Furman, Montana, Montana State. But these teams are secondary rivals for sure, like Montana and Eastern Washington would be. Right. So I think this will be a heated game for sure. I think the, the – close spread is definitely accurate. I'm taking New Hampshire. Okay, we're both on New Hampshire. By the way, uh, I would also offer this. Uh, Danny, uh, our friend Danny there, he did at least win the surname lottery. I mean, if I could move from Tutel to Feltwell, Feltwell, that would be great. I mean, Feltwell is outstanding. Okay, there you go. There's our FCS uh, games on the national level pick. It is time to do rapid-fire FBS games against the spread. David, what do we got? They're always trying to skip the wild card college football game. Oh, yeah. We don't. Oh, yeah. I've never heard of these two schools, but you got Bloomsburg plus 11 at East Stroudsburg somewhere in Pennsylvania. You can actually watch this game on Blue Ridge TV, whatever that is, and ESPN3. It's East Stroudsburg's homecoming. And they're an 11-point favorite. That's too big a number. They're going to win, but they're only going to win by 10. I'll take Bloomsburg to cover, and I'm going way over the 47. 50-40, the final in this one. East Stroudsburg rolling on homecoming. Not too big of a number. And you always take the over. No, you, we're on the over, but you're on Strasburg. You are wrong on that. That's an awful pick by you. Okay, <laughs> FBS. Top three games on the uh, FBS schedule to pick against the spread. David, what do we got? All right, first we got the side of college game day, number 16, Michigan, at number 7, Penn State. Penn State. We know what culture's going to do. Penn Amen. State is minus 9. The Nittany Lions undefeated, playing Michigan, minus nine at home. Happy Valley, 5.30 kickoff mountain time. That's 7.30, local boys and girls. A night game going to be a whiteout in Happy Valley. This should be the lock of the week. Give me the Nittany Lions by a 1,000 over the hapless and inept Michigan Wolverines. The seat went from hot to being on fire after this one for Jim Harbaugh. I mean, look, if you go to Wisconsin and just get pummeled into the ground, which everybody has, including Michigan State, but my goodness gracious, and I love, you know I'm a big Badger guy, Wisconsin, the whole deal. No. And you're not going to do it to Penn State. Penn State minus nine? No, no, no. All day long. Nittany Lions, I'm all over that. Nittany Lions are red hot. I mean, they got warmed up with a nice little 79-point outing against Idaho, but they also have wins over their rivals, Pitt and Maryland, and they went into Kinnick Stadium last week and beat Iowa. So six and zero, number seven in the country. There's a new series on uh, HBO twenty four seven, and it's like a mini hard knock style, just on one week of football for a college football program. So they did Penn State yeah. last week, mm. leading up to the Maryland game. James Franklin is so sweet, man. But they did <laughs> they did Arizona State this week. Herm Edwards is sweeter than everybody. Dude. Herm Edwards is the sweetest. He's so cool. His unwavering personality. Like you think it's a persona, and then you realize, no, this guy's like this literally this 24 hours a day. You know the other thing too for Herm that's working in his favor? Once you cross 
cross a certain age threshold, you actually can connect better with the college right. kids. And he has gotten to that point where he's like the affable or avuncular grandfather figure, yep. but not so old that he's like slipping at all. Like he'll still put you in your place, but he's just got that certain range right now. He's in a sweet spot there at ASU. Sun Devils should be happy. No doubt. I, I got Penn State in this. I think that not just because I'm a Penn State fan, but Penn State has an unbelievable amount of talent on defense. They're I rolling, think. man. They're I mean, and, and the, I mean straight up, I think they have one of the best defensive units in the in the country. I think that their front seven is is outstanding. They have multiple NFL guys that I think will be high draft picks, um, and I think they're going to be able to put a lot of pressure on the passer. I, I got Penn State as well. Okay. Now we move into the Pac-12, David. For what it's worth, Michigan is never – Never won a game as an underdog, so throw Penn State in your money line parlays. Speaking of Herm Edwards and Arizona State, this is the biggest game of the Can, weekend hold, as far as I'm ju- concerned. Wait, wait, just, just wait, just wait, just wait. Michigan has never won a game in which they were an underdog? Under, Under Jim, Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh. Okay, okay. Uh, wow. That's still pretty unbelievable. Now they have, But also totally believable. It is. But I mean, how many games have they been underdogs in? Every Ohio State game, which they've lost all of them. Yep. I think and it's like 12. And then, you know, a handful of others. When they play Penn State. I mean, right. Penn State, we could get into this on two tell nuance, but I was thinking about this when I was watching Penn State. I was thinking about Penn State is a great example of why the FBS model is so weird and so hard for me to buy into. Because Penn State couldn't have more money and resources and talent, and they're still never going to make the playoff or win the college football national championship. Under the current construction, because they don't play in the SEC, and they're always going to be behind Ohio State in their own conference. Well, they I could mean, beat Ohio State, I guess, and get in there, but they're not beating Alabama or Clemson or anybody else from the SEC. I mean, maybe. Uh, it's just a it's a weird. It's situation all about proximity to recruits. All right, we move on. The biggest game of the weekend, as far as I'm concerned, number 17 Arizona State at number 13 Utah. Utah two touchdown favorite. It's 4 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network. 4 p.m. on Ryan Tutel's couch for me. Yes. Uh, but now it's time to out our producer, David Graff, a little bit because even though he's in this beautiful poinsettia bull Wyoming Cowboys sweatshirt, the uh, alma mater from which he graduated, he, in fact, is a giant Arizona State fan. His girlfriend went to Arizona State. He met her in 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 where is Arizona State? To, in, Tempe. in Tempe. Man, people already know more about David Graff's love life than you'll ever get out of me. Oh, I know, I know. Uh, you're just you're just cold and heartless. Uh, but just a byline, we, buddy. Just a just byline. Just be a byline. Uh, emphasis on <laughs> in any case Arizona State is David's team he can't wait he's already made reservations as he mentioned on my Davenport to sit down and take a look at this game surrounded by children and a rabbit and probably you know a little bit of whiskey and probably some other goodies to snack on I'm looking very forward to this game as well I'm surprised that Utah is a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. I really am. Uh, uh, they are – you said two touchdowns. Is it moved to 14 now? That's correct. I I, I think I got to take Arizona State on the, on, on that biggest spread. I love Utah, man. I think Utah is going to win this game, and I, I, I think Utah has got this, the best defense in the pack, 12, and I, I buy – I buy the Utes, man. I just think they're really, really good, especially at home. But Arizona State is good, too, and they have proven you know, to this point in the season that they are a capable team. You already mentioned about Herm Edwards, and you know what do we know about Marvin Lewis? I mean, greatest coach of all time. Anyway, uh, that's an aside. Uh, 
he's on the staff. If you're wondering at home, Marvin Lewis has joined Herm Edwards. <laughs> Don't know what State. you got till it's gone, though. Huh? Marvin Lewis wasn't good enough for Cincinnati. Now Cincinnati can't win a game. Let me tell you something. Marvin Lewis couldn't sit. Well, actually, Marvin Lewis could sit up there and be an offensive lineman for the Bengals right now. Uh, I'm taking uh, I'm taking Arizona State to cover this, even though I got Utah winning the football game because I think 14s too big a number for these two teams. I mean, you're talking about number 13 versus number 17. Uh, maybe they know something I don't know, but I, I like Arizona State to be competitive in this game. Don't look now, but everybody in the Pac-12 decided they're going to play defense all of a sudden. I know. What in the hell happened there? And now the teams that just want to play offense, like UCLA and Washington State, suck. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I mean, Arizona State's turned their defense around pretty darn quick. They're pretty good defensively. And Utah And is, they've always had dudes. They have ASU. always had dudes, but yes. they, they're executing a lot better. And Utah is exceptional defensively. Oh, yeah. But, but they're the best defense in the conference. Yes, and one of the best defenses in the country. For I mean, sure. They're frighteningly fast in the way they execute and just the mechanism that is their defense. I mean, they're a well-oiled machine. The, yeah. the, I've watched them five times in the last two years. It's just left flabbergasted. Uh, I, I, I agree with your assessment wholeheartedly, though. I think this will be a slugfest. What's the over-under on this, David? I have to look. Because I would take the under, I think, because I think this will be a defensive game. Mm. But I, I agree with you. I think that 14 is a big number. I think that Utah will win, but Arizona State will cover. Okay. All right, our last game, number 12, Oregon, at number 25, Washington. Washington's a three-point underdog. Uh, the game's on ABC at 130. This hmm. is an immediate and no doubter for me, but I'll let you go first, Coulter. I think we're on the same page. Really? I think, I think Oregon's really, really, really good, and I think that Washington's not as good as they have been. I think that the uh, the constant stream of front seven players from the Huskies going to the NFL, they've been able to reload, but they, they're going to have to rebuild that part now. They are, they're out of dudes up front compared to what they had. I mean, what they had was... Vita Vea and Greg Jenkins and, for sure. I mean Elijah Qualls and multiple NFL draft picks. So they, you know, Shaq Thompson. They had, they need to reload that portion of it. And I think that Oregon's really good, man. I think that actually, I think people around our parts around Montana are a little bit skewed version of Oregon because Oregon, they're probably their worst performance of the year was against the Montana Grizzlies. And credit to Montana for that. Oregon looks a little lackluster in that game, though. Oregon looked lights out last week. Their their offensive line was as advertised, and I think that Justin Herbert is as advertised, and I think that their defense is pretty fast and pretty pretty effective. I got Oregon uh, to win. I think they'll win by way more than just three. Uh, you and I are 100% not on the same page mm. on this. This is a rivalry game. This is the rivalry game. Don't kid yourself about the the the, the Apple Cup. Okay, this is the rivalry game. Oh yeah, because for, for, the, for really the, both these teams. But no doubt, but Washington fans hate Oregon way more than they hate Washington State. Way more. Way a more. million times more with all of the fire that hell hath. Okay, <laughs> is how much Washington hates Oregon and vice versa. Okay, this game is in Husky Stadium. They're coming off an awful loss to Stanford and then bounce back and house Arizona, who is putrid. They will. This is a get up and get going football game. Washington has not played to their potential. Jacob Eason has not played to his potential. I thought Jacob Eason would be better than he's been. I think he's going to be very good in this football game. It is a risk because Oregon is very good. I actually buy or the Oregon Ducks more than I buy Washington as a team. But in this game, give me a home underdog in the Washington Huskies, three-point home dog, to cover this thing up, if not win outright. I think Washington will win this football game outright. But uh, even though it's only a small number, certainly if I'm getting points, I'll take the Huskies and Yes, some of that is from the burning hatred I have for the Ducks. So, you know, 
Just so we need know who you are. Emotional you know? investment Nowhere, in your, in no, your uh, gambling analysis. See, here's the difference between you and me. You think you can be just a dispassionate, objective observer, and I don't believe that exists at all. I believe you have to recognize your biases and then analyze those. And so that's what I'm doing here. I'm taking Washington out of my heart, and I will not do anything with this game, but that's what I'm going to pick here. I just think the Huskies are teetering, and they need to figure it out. They are teetering. Yes, yes, and that is why part of why I like this. This has been FCS Speculators, Woo! a betting podcast, episode four. David, sure. I love the FBS part of it. If you give me Big Ten and Pac-12 games, those are the leagues I watch. I just pick the biggest games of the week. Great. Those happen to be in these two conferences. Boys and girls, thanks for listening. We do appreciate you. We hope you had some fun with us, and uh, we'll be back in a week with episode five. commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia? When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.